0: Hello and welcome to Forward It's Earth, the podcast that has a look at all things nature, climate change, environment and sustainability and asks, is there anything that you and I can do to help try and save the planet just a little bit? I'm Emma. I'm Lloyd and this week we are talking about seagrass, grass of the sea. Grass of the Sea, indeed. I'm excited to dive into this one, no pun intended. Yeah, it's one we want to do for quite a while, actually, isn't it? It's so cool. I've always in the back of my mind thought seagrass is going to be really cool to look at because it's got such amazing potential, which we'll go into later, of like carbon capture and habitat but boy, restoration.
1: But is it cool?
0: Oh boy, indeed. It's really cool. And I've got a massive hankering now to go snorkeling some seagrass beds, but in a very responsible manner, of course.
1: <laughs> of course. No, no mowing of that lawn. <laughs>
0: Could you imagine, what would an underwater mower look like? That would be...
1: Probably a fishing trawler. I'm
0: imagining one of those, you know, those, um, those like circular hoovers that you can set on automatically to go around your house. I'm imagining one like of those. Like a ways. Roomba? Yes. Let's not invent one of uh, those. Uh, that would be an absolute disaster for the sea. Oh, I'd love a Roomba. Um, but we're off topic already. We're off topic already. We need to start with our regular segment. Lloyd, answer the question for me. And then we've got some fun ones from listeners. But what one good thing have you done for the planet this week?
1: We have started to embrace again that time of year where you don't have to use the dryer every single time. Yes. We can use the washing line to freshen our clothes
0: absolutely to be
1: fair our driver is pretty uh, pretty low energy usage anyway but um always good to save the pennies especially with the rocketing cost
0: of living yay yeah. the kind of a lot of the advice for like saving the pennies also kind of saves on energy consumption and resource consumption as well so i'm here for yeah. all advice to save pennies pounds and energy but um, that's, that's a really good one. Lots of people have been doing that, actually. One of, our, one of our first one good thingers from our audience on Instagram, Hannah, has said she's done the exact same thing. She's got a washing oh, line fantastic. up so that she can Great use her tumble dryer nice. less, yes, and reduce her energy consumption. So well done, Hannah.
1: Yay. I, I would like to use my washing machine, yeah, less. But unfortunately, with a baby, it's... Um, yes. She's
0: increased usage, as you can imagine. Is, is Teddy really, really producing all sorts of things that need washing? I'm basically um, asking if he poos a lot and sicks a lot, which I think all babies yeah, do. Yeah, I mean,
1: he's not, not as bad now. He's at four months. It's not quite the constant um, production line of poop <laughs> as it was in the for those first couple of weeks. But uh, <laughs> because he's starting to have a bit more, have got a bit of baby rice, a bit of fruit, that oh. sort of thing. Um, he's uh, sicking up a little bit more. So it comes out the other end as well.
0: Oh, he's gorgeous either way.
1: But he's worth it. He's worth it. All about yourself? What one good thing have you done this week, Emma?
0: Um, ours, mine actually comes from, I think a listener mentioned this a long time ago. They recommended an app called Tree App, which basically every single day... Yeah, that you can, get recommended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You basically get shown an advert for kind of a sustainability brand or a partner or something that connects with this app. And simply by watching this one advert and clicking like one button or answering one marketing question every day, you can help them plant a tree. So the advertising they revenue they get from the advertiser by showing it to you and you engaging with it then goes to fund tree planting projects. And you can do one a day and I'm like two days away from getting to 150 days.
1: Does that mean 150 trees have been planted? Allegedly. Your-
0: allegedly, 150 trees will be planted off the back of my... But the, but the thing is, it's like one of the only ways that you can plant trees for free that also doesn't involve you, for example, like volunteering with an organisation and digging yeah. a hole you can just do it for 30 seconds in the morning. So I've got into the good habit of doing that. Oh, well done. So I'd I'd, I'd recommend that to everyone, to be honest. It's a really, it, you know, provided their system works, and I'm assuming it does. It um It's very simple, very easy. So it's a good little one good thing.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, we, we all, you know, lazily watch Netflix or flick through our Instagram account or something. So definitely worth spending that extra 30 seconds just to yeah. contribute to your, a bit your of, zombie a bit of positive. scrolling for, yeah, for, positive for good. Scrolling.
0: Very nice, yeah. Oh,
1: fantastic. I believe we've also got quite a few one good things from our gorgeous listening community.
0: We have indeed.
1: For example, uh, Kelpesh, uh, you have planted spring blooms on your balcony, which is very fantastic. Nice. That is exactly what we want to see. Bee friendly brings more greenage to our urban spaces.
0: Oh, greenage like that. Um, very good. Now, this is one that I thought, I thought of you guys, actually. So Charlotte's bought a Settle Beds dog bed. So I had a quick Google. It's a type of dog bed that's made in the UK and it's made from recycled plastic and they look pretty cool as well. So that's good going. Oh, nice one. Yeah.
1: Yeah, fantastic. We've actually got um, a dog bed made from recycled plastic bottles. I think i got it at TK Maxx. It's one of those sort of rare finds where you're like, oh, that's exactly what I wanted when I came through the doors.
0: TK Maxx uh, is chaos, but sometimes a treasure trove. Now and again, now and again.
1: Maddie got in touch because she said she has finally got a rainwater harvester. This is something I've been meaning oh, I'd to do because we're having some like work done on the back of our house, and I would actually yeah quite like to do that. But we haven't really. I don't know if it's quite worth it for us because we haven't got the green space in the back of our house to really sort of use on plants at the Mm.
0: moment and somebody else who didn't leave their name also downloaded tree app i like to think it's because they listen to us but i don't know um and they have helped plant seven trees so far so good on you crack on with that that journey well done
1: well done yep and jess you got in touch to say you have been reusing some balloons from a from a party because you felt bad about them being thrown away that's fantastic i mean obviously we're not a big fan of balloons but then you know people still buy them and once they've bought, why not reuse them again? You
0: might as well give them a second or third life if you can bring some joy, yeah, I mean, whether that's bringing them to another event or
1: giving them to, to some kids to enjoy for a couple of days or carrying around the streets like some sort of
0: weird it style clown this is this is what Lloyd does on weekends now you know not anymore and you've got one from a From a child? From your mum's school, right? Yeah.
1: I was also also told one in person, yeah, because my mum works in a school, a primary school, and there's a girl there, Ellie. So she is only 10 years old, but she is very much carrying the eco-warrior flag and it's fantastic. So she um, had a wildflower garden last year and became really passionate about saving the bees. Fantastic. Fantastic. We love bees. But then at the end of uh, sort of the season, she saved as many seeds as she could from the garden and has been selling them on in sort of pre-made packets <gasps> of little brown envelopes. Enterprise. Um, one pound a pack. And she's been selling them outside her house and she's sold out apparently as well. That's
0: amazing.
1: Which is amazing. Yes, yeah. so we has been selling them outside her house and, and for orders as well. And I have got a little picture. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll show you on on here. So, oh my
0: gosh, little packets. Oh my gosh, like, that's so sweet, and that's so many packets as what well. What's it called?
1: Be bus stop seeds that packet's cool oh i think gosh. she's also put other little packets together of different types of seeds depending on what you want to do really great idea she's the really future lovely.
0: isn't that so heartwarming oh absolutely wonderful
1: great job ellie
0: Great job everyone. Everyone that does a one good thing. Great job.
1: Yeah. Great job all of you just by listening to this podcast. <laughs>
0: well, well done for downloading and tuning in. <laughs> right, Lloyd, we are talking seagrass today. Have yes, you ever seen a seagrass meadow yourself in person? I Perl? have.
1: Um I believe we both did yes <laughs> in, honestly, we, that time on our uni trip
0: if we can um, throw it back as we always seem to manage to do to this one time we went on an epic field trip um to the bahamas yeah, so, yeah that was my first seagrass meadow experience yeah, the
1: bahamas saw some in um in australia Ningaloo roof I saw a dugong grazing oh amazing i think i saw some in in saudi arabia perhaps um in the red sea because seagrasses do in fact grow uh, on all continents except for antarctica they are everywhere Perhaps not as much everywhere as they used to be, but we will get to that later. Mm. So seagrasses are, of course, I say of course, like everyone should know, seagrasses are the only flowering plant that is able to live in seawater and also pollinate whilst emerge. So they live their entire so cool. sort of meaningful lives yeah. um, under seawater.
0: That is very cool. Um, they can be exposed at low tide and in intertidal zones as well, though. So sometimes they are not you know, like always underwater, which is quite yes. cool. So that the resilience of species Yeah, that's, of the that's species why the
1: that of, uh, of, of meaningful life. very all, cool. All the important bits happen underwater, which is pretty impressive. And actually, what's kind of amazing is that, so you know how obviously like most life, or all life started under the sea and then emerged onto land. So that was true of plants as well. But seagrasses are this funny thing where they evolved from terrestrial plants. Really? So plants evolved from the sea, came onto land, went
0: not too keen here. I'm heading back. Evolved
1: Back underwater.
0: That's amazing. That is very cool. I didn't come across that in my in my research. I did. I did read that they're estimated to have first evolved around the time that dinosaurs still walked the earth. So about a hundred million million years. Yeah. (gasps) So it's on the same. This is this is what happens when we don't (laughs) discuss our research first. but that, I think that is incredibly cool. It adds to the list of reasons why seagrass is absolutely fascinating. So there are more than 70 species of seagrass that you can find uh, around the world, but there are only four really that we find around the UK. So there are two species of something known as a tasselweed and two zostera, which I've probably pronounced wrong species, which can also be known as, as eelgrass because they kind of look long, thin and slippery
1: nice yeah lots of little eels gone for that um they are fantastic uh, habitats for all sorts of marine life so in the uk alone um it's home to anemones jellyfish mollusks polychaetes are like little worm things echinoderms like starfish and um, they're also great nursery grounds the world over mm. uh, for lots of types of fish so nursery grounds being These habitats that juvenile fish, so newly born, newly hatched fish, can live in for shelter, for protection. And they are also great uh, foodstuffs for green turtles, well, all sorts of turtles. Mm. Uh, dugongs. like I said, like I boasted about earlier. Um, Also
0: known as a manatee, right? Are they the same thing?
1: No, they're different. (gasps) Are they not? Oh, okay. No, you can tell them apart. I can't remember which one's which now. One of them's got a fused tail. Uh-huh. so like a single club like tail yeah and the other one's got like a split tail like a so more like a, a mermaidy type oh interesting
0: split. well that's my mind blown i'm one of so amazing habitats but one of the amazing ecosystems so they, they basically as habitats provide a whole host of ecosystem services not only are seagrass themselves an ecosystem engineer where they have like a positive knock-on effect to to everything around it they're the primary producers and they're important for many many other species the ecosystem that they provide the services that they provide just that the list of this goes on and on and on so we've talked about yes yeah great habitat they also are great at helping to filter water helping to slow down water so that nutrients and things settle in the sediment which is great for even more underwater plant growth they one of the most exciting ones is that they can capture carbon at a ridiculous rate. So seagrass actually allegedly captures carbon 35 times faster than tropical forests.
1: It's amazing, isn't it? It, It's something like seagrasses currently cover 0.1% of the ocean, Mm. but provide 10% of the ocean's carbon storage.
0: Which is amazing, absolutely amazing. So I was going to ask you, as resident marine biologist, what else in the sea draws carbon down? Is that kelp and phytoplankton
1: uh yep so um living things for example uh will create like cats and shells that sort of thing Ah. so and then when they die it gets stored at the bottom Mm -hmm. same for i guess a lot of animals when they die and they go to the bottom they provide nutrients but they also provide a carbon store themselves Mm. other sort of green habitats like mangrove swamps are great carbon stores and, and the water themselves, um, I don't know if you can remember all the way back to our uni days, Emma, but there's that carbon cycle mm. in the water, which sadly does get affected by climate change with ocean, ocean acidification affecting how much carbon can be stored, etc. But seagrass, a huge, huge component of carbon storage, which we've only really appreciated in the last decade or so, I think. Yeah. Which sadly has come too late for a lot of seagrass meadows, But again, we will get onto that later. Carry on talking about the services and why they're so flipping important. Mm. So they're great for sheltering us. They prevent erosion of the land because they absorb a lot of uh, storm impact, a lot of wave impact. Um, it must be on YouTube. I remember seeing ages ago a video where someone made their own little tank to demonstrate the impacts of uh, things like mangroves and seagrass. So they sort of had a little model town next to a little model beach with water and this this little wave machine um sort of went back and forth and pumped waves at it and it was really noticeable how the model with like seagrass plants in front of it, the waves just dissipated straight away it was the ones that didn't, the waves carried straight on and drowned the little town with the little wooden toy people. Love um,
0: that. Not the drowning of little toy people, but love the impact of seagrass. That's amazing considering it yeah. basically it's such a hidden habitat that we don't interact with as humans. You know, we talked about comparing them to terrestrial forests we can walk through and explore forests very easily but we don't spend particularly much time appreciating or seeing even seagrass forests but they can have such a positive impact on us and that's that's really important as well what you've just mentioned there about coastal erosion particularly in terms of like storm surges because a we are going to see more storm events and more frequent weather patterns Mm -hmm. that are dramatic thanks to the old climate change and also we are increasingly living in very close proximity to the coast and across yes. across the world, the, the reliance yeah, of people yeah. on living in coastal spaces is only going to go up. So that's amazing yeah. that something as simple as a seagrass bed and meadow can have a really positive impact on potentially that community in the face of very changing environments.
1: Exactly. And uh, talking of communities, seagrasses are a crucial component in, I think it's like 20% of the world's fisheries. Wow. Because as we were saying earlier, things like nursery habitats. So if fish and other species don't have safe places to grow and hide from predators uh, or just like food sources, then they're not going to grow into suitable food stocks. Those dwindle, you get overfishing, um, increased pressure elsewhere, and uh, mm. the cycle continues. So the list really does go on. So seagrass is also great at filtering out pollutants in the water. Is there nothing um, the
0: grasses can't do?
1: Exactly, in the same way that they sort of capture a lot of nutrients, and they can help clear up the quality of our seawater. I was reading one article. I don't know if you saw this. Emma, one article which was talking about how seagrasses can prevent disease.
0: Yes, from the Smithsonian. It was only a couple of days yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Really, really cool. This, this, Excellent. this was completely unexpected.
1: Well, yeah. So different species of seagrasses supposedly are good at filtering out different kind of pathogens, so um, disease causing uh, microorganisms. They're good at filtering those out from the water. This article we were just talking about estimates that millions of cases of gastroenteritis, uh, which causes dysentery, uh, were prevented each year because of seagrass. Um, And basically, these researchers found that concentrations of gastroenteritis were much lower in seagrass meadows than anywhere else in the ocean. And if you were to scale that up globally and assume that uh, seagrass meadows will over Play a similar role, whether that's in gastroenteritis or other pathogens, then um It's good
0: news all around for people living. But then it could
1: be responsible for preventing 24 million cases of gastroenteritis or um healthcare savings estimated yes. to be $74 million gosh amazing, the world. Yeah. Just from basically what looks like your garden lawn in the sea.
0: Incredible. So like I think one of the things that they identified was that different species obviously had different effects and different pathogens as well so there's a lot of work to be done in terms of mapping those relationships and where those habitats are around the world and potentially in my i'm guessing if you've got areas where you know something like gastroenteritis is very present in the water system you can see whether that variety of seagrass could potentially be reintroduced to that area and potentially be useful there and there was one as well which caught my eye and this was the temperate water dwelling type of seagrass which helps to reduce pathogens in the Vibrio genus and this is something I haven't thought about Vibrio for what feels like a decade whenever it was that we did our <laughs> undergraduate dissertations I looked yeah. at the relationship between Vibrio and coral bleaching because that's the type of pathogen yes, that can yeah, infect yeah. coral and then the coral freak out and they bleach and they die and they, they get rid of their um, symbiotic relationship with algae that keeps them alive so if we can also create seagrass meadows in and around a coral environment that is struggling with bleaching because of this relationship with vibrio and then the seagrass can help chill out the concentration of vibrio species in that water maybe that's something that we can do to help protect things like corals particularly in the mediterranean where this is present so that really made me excited to dredge that strange bit of knowledge from the back of my mind from eight (laughs) years ago was great but it's, it's still there it's still there this is so i'm such a seagrass champion now i i I don't know if there's anything that seagrass can't do, apart from restore itself, which is where it needs our help. (laughs) Yeah,
1: what you're talking about there, the way it uh, helps protect corals. Seagrass is such a good example of the way in which different environmental systems, different habitats, come together in a real mosaic to support each other. Mm. One thriving helps another thrive. And conversely, one dying off, one suffering again, causes suffering of uh, nearby habitats and has a wealth of knock-on impacts, Mm. not just for other habitats, but seagrass is also such a delicate, complicated ecosystem that there are sort of cycles within cycles, uh, feedback loops within feedback loops, which basically leads us on to the problems. Yes. So the fact that seagrasses around the world have suffered over the last few decades. So in 2020, a UN report said, around 7% of seagrass habitats being lost around the world every year. So that's equivalent to about every 30 minutes losing a football pitch.
0: Wow. I I read a stat that was a hectare of seagrass was lost every hour. So that's you and I have been on the phone for an hour. At a hectare of seagrass is gone yeah. in that time, which is terrifying. And in the UK, so a lot of my research—I don't know about you, look, but a lot of my research looks at the UK-based seagrass yes, projects. Yeah. Um, but ninety percent of our seagrass meadows have been lost in the last kind of thirty, or and the, the bulk of that has been in the last thirty years.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I didn't realise this, but back in the nineteen thirties, apparently there was a real, really widespread wasting disease. Mm. Um, which hit seagrasses not just in, in the UK and Europe, but also in like North America, for example. But whereas in an untouched world mm. that seagrass might recover, the recovery after the 1930s was severely hampered by humans, by us. Oh. by um,
0: Curveball, didn't see that happening.
1: Yeah, shock. By pollution, by uh, physical disturbance, whether that's dredging or fishing or coastal development. Mm. And really the problems have piled on
0: since so we've started bad and then continuation of human activities have just made it so so much worse so i'm gonna i'm gonna take us down the route of sewage um which pretty much comes up in every episode it feels anything remotely water related we talk about sewage um and a lot of You know sewage will get discharged into the sea uh, and that basically creates a huge influx of really high nutrients and seagrass is super sensitive so if you're throwing all of these really high nutrient content um in into their environment they they essentially can't handle it and in some cases also massively boosts algae growth which then outcompetes the seagrass it'll either get in the way because obviously seagrass needs to be in clear enough water to be able to get enough light to photosynthesize to survive and seagrass and algae growth can either smother them physically or can change the um, visibility of the water and the, the permeation of the light through to the seagrass bed, so it can stop them yeah. growing as well. And again,
1: in certain environments, that's gonna have a knock on impact on corals, for example. Yes. Yeah. Again, algae will outcompete corals for light. Mm. So it's not just in isolation.
0: Yeah. And uh, so in 2020. There were almost five and a half thousand discharges of raw sewage just into UK coastal bathing waters. That's according to Surface Against Sewage. And that's just a drop in the ocean as well, based, <laughs> pun, um, compared to like it all being released into rivers as well. And and eventually things that are released into the rivers also make it into the sea. So basically, poo's really bad for the planet when not looked after properly. That's my headline. Poo is bad for the planet. i started out so strong and i really really let myself down there at the end
1: (laughs) (laughs) but i mean again that it's a that's a great sort of first stop-off point sort of reiterate how sensitive seagrass is to feedback loops because you've got the nutrients directly affecting the seagrass, so like heavy metals, for example, will reduce the ability of uh, seagrass to, to fix nitrogen, mm. which they need to grow and thrive. So while we're on the subject of pollutants um, and chemicals getting out of that seagrass that we don't want, there was a study recently about um, how the chemicals in sunscreen um, might have an impact on seagrass. So it's not proven that it does negatively impact seagrass, but there's a high chance it does because it's been found that these chemicals, these ultraviolet filters
0: um,
1: in these chemicals uh, have been found in certain species of seagrass in the Mediterranean, especially around Mallorca, um, likely because of uh, recreation tourism. So a lot of tourists get in the sea with uh, sunscreen mm. on, uh, washes away because it's not the sort of ocean-friendly, like sticks on you kind of stuff. And when you think that you know, the job of those is to stop sunlight, stop UV getting into your skin, what effect might that be having on seagrass which relies on sunlight? That's a very good point. And then feeding into this, exacerbating that is the fact that, or likely exacerbating, is the fact that the Mediterranean Sea um, is quite shallow, it's quite small, quite enclosed. So you can actually get quite high concentrations, like we've measured high concentrations of these UV absorbing chemicals. So these chemicals have already been banned in a lot of places worldwide, well, luckily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not necessarily um, in in certain countries in Europe.
0: So, given that we're on the brink of summer and probably everybody mm. is rushing to the local pharmacy for the two-for-one deals on Yeah, this is the first, first stop in our
1: what-can-you-do Oh, yeah, sorry.
0: I brought that ever so slightly forward. Then, in that case, there's something to consider as ocean-safe sun ocean cream? Ocean-safe, yeah.
1: It'll usually be marks, won't it? Or, or say, like water-friendly mm. um, one of the two, so definitely look out for that if you're heading on holiday or heading into the sea or just generally buying
0: some sunscreen this summer. Another thing that can give our seagrass beds a little bit of bother are invasive species, so whether they are um, reaching the environment because we are dropping them off a lot of the time um, in ships, particularly in kind of big shipping areas, uh, ballast is used to help keep the right level of a ship in the water. If it's, so for example, if it's a shipping container ship which is used to having tons and tons of weight on, when it's empty, it's going to sit higher in the water because it's used to being carrying loads of cargo. So yeah. what it will do is open up these big kind of holes in the side of it to fill up with water wherever it is. And that's known as ballast. And that makes the weight of the ship, again, better, more ideal for whatever journey it's, it's about a to It's bit like do. sandbags on a hot air balloon, isn't it? Totally. So then when they get to the next destination where they're ready to be loaded up instead by goods these ballast kind of holes will be opened and all of the water will rush out into that local environment so basically any organism that's been picked up in one location gets transported gets a free ride to somewhere else in the planet and that's one of the ways that a lot of invasive marine species will travel around the world um, without us kind of really intending them to so that's not specifically um, related to seagrass uh, but that is one of the mechanisms for yeah. definitely
1: worth mentioning. Because it's not just spaces either, is it? It's um, diseases as well, from one yes. place to another, traveling much more easily. Cause we mentioned earlier about how like back in the nineteen thirties, it was a wasting disease. Um, so yeah, our modern a modern buying habits.
0: We make lead it to make it really shipping. hard. I mean, like the, the pandemic <laughs> the pandemic of the last two years has shown anything. It's how interconnected we are, makes us actually quite vulnerable to issues in any far flung part of the world. And it's the same thing with the marine ecosystem things can very easily and very quickly be transported. In the same way that our goods can be, all of the bad things can also be transported around.
1: Um, yeah, precisely. Mm. Um, talking of boats, uh, a, a much more immediate impact, I suppose, is literally from boat, pelle- boat propellers, mm. boat
0: anchors. Moorings, yeah.
1: Yeah, I've definitely been on uh, research boats from other countries where I've absolutely winced at the way um, an anchor's been thrown overboard near some habitats that you really wouldn't want it to be, realistically, because it's okay, it might not tear up the entire seagrass meadow, but if you cut a line straight through a seagrass meadow, suddenly you've left the edges.
0: Yeah, there are more edges.
1: There are more edges, they're so more exposed to sediment, more exposed to uh water currents, etc. Uh, and that just makes it more likely that it's going to struggle from some other factors, which is quite a good way to loop in to a discussion on feedback loops.
0: Oh, well, so we you mentioned
1: how delicate seagrasses are, how many ecosystem services they provide, but also how many different sort of factors they rely on. So they need clear water mm-hmm. for sunlight, they benefit from certain species cleaning them uh, to keep their leaves clean for uh, or clear for, for absorbing sunlight. They need uh, the right sediments. They benefit from some herbivory, but not incre- like too much. So as an example, um, if you've got rising temperatures as a result from um, climate change, mm-hmm. the big it's siren going off there, beep,
0: beep, 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 um,
1: high temperature can mean they need more light to absorb in order to overcome the stresses of a higher temperature, ah. which actually means they're more susceptible to disease. Because if you think uh, when we sort of work too hard ourselves we might be more susceptible to a common cold because we're, our bodies are working harder, yes. so they're more vulnerable same with seagrasses so they're more susceptible to disease which um, slows uh, their nutrient intake in turn which might make them even more susceptible to disease which might mean they are less able to filter out pollutants filter out diseases in the water so there's a real cascading effect and as we said they're also reliant on the animals around them herbivory so animals eating the seagrass uh, such as turtles, That's so if a point we yeah. were to as humans, do our cat like a very standard human thing of overfishing, <laughs> classic <laughs> removing too much fish from the from the water, those fish might be ones um that predate on intermediate predators, for example, so if you take too much from the top of the food chain, mm-hmm. what that can filter down to is a decline of much smaller organisms that help keep those leaves clean, like I mentioned earlier,
0: oh, the, the um, or it might
1: machine. mean that um certain species dominate, that wreck seagrass habitats much more than you might want them to.
0: So in terms of overfishing, that links quite nicely, if we are starting to touch on some of the things that we can do, the royal we globally, to help our seagrass beds and meadows. When it comes to dealing with the effects of overfishing, the designation of MPAs, Marine Protected Zones, are useful for helping fish stocks. But then also the trickle-down effect helps restore or protect some of our seagrass beds in a more kind of long-term management plan. Absolutely, yeah. But I I mean, I don't know a huge amount about how one gets an MPA designated. So I'd love to do an actual episode on marine protected areas because they, whenever you talk to people about the future of our oceans... The fact that we need more and better connected networks of marine protected zones where the rules are also better enforced and communities are on board with the reasons behind the marine protected zones, that seems to be the thing that comes up one of the most when we talk about, yeah, yeah, how do we save our oceans and the things that live in them?
1: yeah so at that level it's um that's where you're gonna try and get involved with your local politics and what's going on Mm. so whether that's engaging with um in the this is going to be very uk-centric but engaging with like local councillors uh, your local mp's to petition for um increased designations of or better protections for certain sites trying to win some designations i work for natural resources wales for example which is sort of like the welsh equivalent of the environment agency and i know we do quite a lot of community events and consultations where we try and figure out what the community wants whether you're in scotland england wales or the island you'll have something similar going on at some point in the year so try and seek those out see what's going on and yeah raise your raise your voice if you think that your coastal area isn't being protected well enough
0: yeah and and it doesn't even have to go as far as the designation of new protected zones um, there are projects like the Recreation Remedies Project, which focuses on seagrass, particularly around England, which are working on kind of voluntary uptake of, of kind of schemes by people like harbour masters, so still people in positions of power and decision-making who can try and make sure that the way that their harbour is managed is more amenable to seagrass. So whether that's you know voluntarily... Um, st- or asking, asking the community to voluntarily engage in a no mooring site next to or around like a protected seagrass meadow, or changing the kind of types of moorings and anchorings or anchorages that are allowed within their harbour can make a huge difference as well so the different types of anchorage there are there are more ones that are big, i mean i'm not a boater and this is going to come abundantly clear with my complete lack of knowledge here um, but there are lots of different types of moorings and anchorages that some of which have been evolved to be better for seagrass so here's a fun fact if you do um have a boat i'm going to read out something that might mean something to you it also might not If you are able to, flake out the correct amount of chain, four times the max depth of high water, or if you are using a chain and warp, six times the maximum depth at high water, in order to minimise any chain abrasion on the seabed. So essentially, I'm taking that to mean...
1: Yeah, I actually did my boat course last week. Oh, did you? So you (laughs) know
0: this stuff. Oh my gosh, and you let me get to the bottom of that sentence. You're doing so well. I I haven't been Uh, on a boat in such a long time. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so it's uh,
0: so. I'm. I'm. Let me ask then. Is that essentially about having less of the chain or whatever it is you're using to more just like sloshing around on the seabed and moving with you and basically creating like a scouring zone?
1: Yeah, it's actually. Um, yeah, it's basically like just the perfect length, so not too short, not too long. Because I think a lot of people have an idea that boat anchors when you throw them off like are perfectly straight; they go straight down <laughs> from the boat to the seabed, yeah. which isn't true. Most anchors um, rely on not going anywhere because they're lying flat against the ground and they dig in and they they won't be able to scrape anywhere. So yeah, it's a case of having a sort of line that's just slack enough so that the boat is being sort of like downwind of it almost. Um so you've only got the 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 anchor itself but no extra line.
0: Ah, uh, okay.
1: Sea bed. Yeah. Great. That's just general, general practice, yeah.
0: Um, one of the other things that they recommend as well is that when you are looking for somewhere to moor, um, I don't know, I was going to say dock up to, but attach yourself to an existing mooring ball. You don't necessarily need to chuck a new anchor down if you're, yeah. in new, if there's already something there that's available because then that reduces the number of things going into the seabed. And if you head to the Recreation Remedies website, which is saveourseabed.co.uk, they've got a map that helps you look at where seagrass habitats are in the UK. So actually, just when you're even planning where you're... Planning to go on your next boat excursion, you could, if you felt so inclined, uh, plan your trip around avoiding these really important yeah. habitats.
1: Oh, fantastic! Uh, while we're on that subject, it's quite links quite nicely to um, the fact that there are quite a few charities springing up now, uh, charities and research groups who are looking to not just preserve the seagrass we have, but also to grow and plant new seagrass meadows, which is really really yes. exciting. So a big one um, I'm familiar with is Project Seagrass. Mm-hmm. You can actually download a seagrass spotter app from them uh, or go on their website. If you um, happen to stumble on any seagrass beds, uh, go on the app, go online and let them know. They've also got a little uh, tool to identify the kind of species. So you go through whether it's uh, branched or not, etc, etc, What you know, how big the leaves are. So you can identify what kind of species seagrass you have and let them know what coverage. Because actually it's very hard to know exactly where all the seagrass is mm. so there was a great project which was i think some of the members of project seagrass were involved where they managed to estimate how much seagrass they used to be at least in the uk based on the sort of favorable habitats like between well, i don't know like four and ten meters like the right kind of sediment that sort of thing mm. but yeah we, we still don't necessarily know where all the seagrass is um whether that's in the uk or in europe or anywhere else in the world so if you're having to go to the maldives see some seagrass let them know on the app but yeah it's really cool what they've been doing they've been planting um they've planted apparently over a million seagrass seeds
0: how cool is that
1: it's fantastic and there i saw they're doing experiments to see whether crabs will eat seeds that are protected by hessian sacks for example so they're really doing their their research Mm. on how best to well make sure these seagrass new meadows uh, survive i think they're doing a lot of work in wales especially in pembrokeshire Um, and on the north coast of Wales, which is very exciting.
0: Uh, Yeah, so the way that like this seabed... So basically, I think off the back of probably a lot of their research, most restoration sites or projects around the UK are using this method of using a hessian sack full of seagrass seeds, most of which have been collected from other UK sites nearby and then cultivated and kept in a tank. And then you fill the bag with seeds and then you drop the bag off. And sometimes they use divers and snorkelers to physically put them in by hand. And sometimes if it's a sight deeper, or you've got a bit more money, I guess, um, boats will go very slowly across a harbour and you get a tube basically hanging off the back of the boat and once a second a volunteer or somebody will just pop one of these hessian bags in it's amazing isn't it's, it? it's so it's, cool. it's really
1: painstaking work but uh, it's very very cool we yeah. really really respect them for it
0: so the hessian bags are designed to stop crabs predating on the seagrass seeds until they're kind of big enough it also gives them enough purchase on the bottom yeah. so that they don't just drift away and then because it's hessian it does start to disintegrate after a long enough period of time that it's about when the seagrass starts to germinate and starts to throw up its first kind of first new little leaves um So it gives them that little bit of protection, that little bit of head start without leaving like bags of plastic in the ocean. It's really, really cool.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, there's so much in the national, and international discourse about taking carbon already emitted out of the air. And as we said, seagrass does it at an astounding rate. So anything we can do, you Mm. know, yeah, we we could build like state-of-the-art, state-of-the-art fancy facilities. That suck the carbon out. Or we could also look to restore what was already there. Yeah. Because seagrass works very well for pulling CO two out of the air and then eventually it'll die, be replaced by new leaves, and what was stored in those dead leaves will stay at the bottom of the ocean, essentially.
0: Yeah, it's essentially the same mechanism as soil building, isn't it? And yeah. soil storage. And then if you don't have the kind of next generation of plant growth on top of the soil or the seabed, then it all gets lost from the seabed. But if we can yeah. restore these plants into happy happy, thriving plant communities they can continue to store new carbon and protect that which is already stored which is great fantastic and then
1: other than that I I think a lot of the things we can do to help seagrass are kind of I was about to say common sense but there's no really such thing it's all it's all (laughs) all relative isn't it standard fare such as don't litter of course because anything you throw away that makes it into uh, the natural environment can uh, smother seagrass or impact Mm -hmm. of course the the organisms that that depend on it or that uh, help it limit pesticide and fertiliser use if you've got any control over that yourself
0: Mm -hmm.
1: be careful of what you put down drains that might end up into our seas Uh, be careful when you're boating as we were just discussing yep supporting local conservation efforts again like we just said like things like project seagrass and other charities definitely look them up see how you can help a lot of them
0: actually in the description because a lot of them are calling for volunteers at the moment so i would i would check those out if you've got time
1: fantastic way to get involved and um sunscreen as well ocean friendly sunscreen totally. buying fish from responsibly sourced stocks
0: yes yes get rid of that overfishing get rid of that dredging if you are a diver Try and keep off the bottom uh, Mm -hmm. so that you're not stirring up the sediment. Work on your buoyancy, make sure you're happy with that. If you've got jet skis, then you go in the my get-in-the-bin list. Um, But basically, the advice if you are going to use jet skis, which are horribly noisy and annoying to marine life, um, is to stay really slow speed until you're in water that's at least over two metres deep because the wash generated from a jet ski can also really help scour the seabed, particularly if you've got young seedlings that need a a nice... uh, a gentle environment in which to begin their life, um, jet skis can really mess them up. And it's the same thing or a similar thing if you are, for example, dragging a kayak or a paddleboard out to go and enjoy it, if you're like a recreational user of the sea, um, or perhaps if you're cycling or horse riding through an intertidal zone where the seagrass can be exposed at low tide, watch out for signs and try not to trample it because it's an incredibly sensitive habitat to trampling as well. And one final one dog poo in intertidal zones. I mean Ooh, this I, I think what? is a general rule anyway is if you've got a dog pick up its poo don't leave it and don't flick and stick it because somewhere it will add nutrients to whatever environment it ends up in and it can add disease to a lot of the things that live in that environment but it's the same thing with the intertidal zones we don't want dog poo adding extra fertilizer and pollutants and stressors to things that can kill off the sea grass in that yeah. area so I mean you might think that the sea is going to wash it away but it's uh, that's actually not the end of the story here. Bag it and bin it.
1: Exactly. I think that's everything. Um,
0: there's plenty, to be fair. Actually, there's quite a lot of things plenty, we can yeah. do to be better around seagrass and stop buying stuff made of seagrass as well. I'm seeing a lot of um, like things, like baskets and pots, stuff, things that are made out of like woven seagrass. That's really not an industry we need to support. I've seen we to... not? Okay. No, well, no, have no, a Google um but it's really not do they, i don't think an industry we need to support i think we just need to leave seagrass growing do in. they say they're from i'm gonna hedge my bets with the place that the kind of outlets that i've seen selling them they are not really taking a circular economy or right. responsible approach to the generation of their seagrass products I shall look into it yeah see what we can find but anyway i think that's probably it for today don't you think
1: Yeah, fantastic. So thank you so much for listening. We hope you have found seagrasses as cool and interesting as we
0: I'm so team seagrass, yeah. And it's actually quite cool.
1: There's uh, quite a lot you can do to get directly involved as well. There's a lot of volunteering opportunities out there. As we said, we'll try and find some and and, and pop them on our social media channels. Speaking of, please get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you, whether that's Instagram on uh, For What It's Earth podcast uh, Twitter is uh, what earth pod. Um, Facebook is for what it's earth podcast.
0: Hey, well done. Yeah.
1: And uh, email is uh for what it's earth...
0: pod at gmail.com.
1: For what it's earthpod at gmail.com. Thank you.
0: <laughs> yeah, we we love to we genuinely love to hear from you. Give us some suggestions and let us know what your one good thing has been. And um, don't forget to try and uh, maybe give us a cheeky five star review on your platform of choice years why not? Yeah, if you've enjoyed the podcast, I mean I'm hoping you have because you've made it to this far in the episode. Um, hopefully, yeah. I'm hopefully hopeful that you've enjoyed it. Um give us give us a cheeky review. That that actually helps us out a lot. Just listening out of spite to this. <laughs> yeah, don't give us like a rageful I've listened to the end too star. Making notes of how you're gonna <laughs> complain. Disclaimer being, of course, we're not experts in any of the topics that we talk about. We just try to bring entertaining conversations <laughs> that are useful to you. And of course, all of our opinions are ours. They are nothing to do with anyone that we work for or are affiliated with. So if you don't like them, take them up with us and nobody that pays our salaries.
1: Beautiful. Thanks, everyone. See you soon.
0: See you soon. Bye. Bye.